This is good. I look out and I start seeing more people properly distanced, right? Keep everybody happy, which is great. It's so nice to see you. I mean, to actually see you. In the past, I've had to make you up and visualize you, you know? And that's a bummer, but it's nice to see you. And uh, life is getting back a little bit to normal, right? You feeling that a little bit? I know for us, we started up baseball again, and uh, we had to sterilize the whole park. You think the church is, church is bad. The, the health department said, you guys gotta sterilize the whole park. So we went to a place, and I said, we gotta sterilize the whole park, what do we do? So we just blasted everything. So if you wanna come to a sterilized place, come to the church or come to the baseball game and watch baseball, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I am so glad that you guys are here. And for those uh, online, I'm so glad that you're here also. You are so valuable uh, to Christ, and so valuable to us. And soon, at the right time, at God's time, and the governor's time, how's that? God and governor, God above, this place will be packed again. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to when it's packed and safe. And I'm excited. So I'm excited for Marsha because you have some awesome stuff for us to know with announcements, right? Come on up. Can we steal a mic? The elders have called a congregational meeting on Sunday, June 27th at 7 p.m. to receive the annual budget, hear from the nominating team, and receive update on uh, pastoral staffing. Additionally, the second item is that on Sunday, July 19th, uh, will be baptismal Sunday, and you will be have more information in the coming weeks. Now, Adam. Adam is going to recognize the high school graduates. I got my own? Alrighty. So, we've got quite a few, so I'm going to have everyone pause to the very end, and we'll have the graduates who are in the service stand up at that time. And so, you'll have some faces on the screen, but I'll give you their names and uh, what they're about to do. Uh, so, first off, we have Milo Steiner, who son of Robin Nancy Steiner is graduating from Bozeman High School. Uh, he plans to take a gap year. Uh, Carter Cape, son of Don and Siobhan Cape, is graduating from Bozeman High School. He plans to attend Carlisle State University in the fall. He'll, he'll pursue a double major in real estate finance and construction management. He's here. Uh, all right, let's Woo! We got one. Might be the only one in the service, but we'll see. I'm looking around. All right. Uh, then we have Beth Van Dyke, uh, daughter of Vince and Cody Van Dyke, is graduating from a merged school. She plans to take a gap year. Avery Gillis, daughter of Rick and Sean Gillis, is graduating from Heritage Christian School. She plans to pursue a degree in nursing at MSU. Uh, Gabrielle Pinnell, daughter of Chris and Janet Pinnell, is graduating from a merged school. Uh, she plans to study uh, to be a pharmacist. Uh, Brianna Russell, daughter of Chris and Lisa Van Gelder, is graduating from a merged school. She plans to study criminology at MSU. Dalton McVean, son of Scott and Bev McVean, is graduating from Bozeman High School. He plans to pursue an architectural degree from MSU. Lots of cats this year. Uh, Emma Kaiser, granddaughter of Ed and Sharon. Uh, Kleiningardner, 
uh, is graduating from Green Hill School in Texas. She will be attending Lehigh University in the fall and playing lacrosse. Uh, Peyton Chapman, daughter of Doug Chapman and Holly Markin, is graduating from Christian Fellowship School in Columbia, Missouri. She plans to attend Columbia College, Missouri uh, to study nursing and psychology. And then lastly, we have um, Delaney Meyer. She is graduating from uh, Manhattan Christian School and she is going to study at Idaho University uh, for astronomy. And that is all the graduates. Congratulations. I know graduation was a little weird, but uh, congrats. All right, I invite you to stand with us for the call to worship. This comes to us from Psalm 108, and we're going to read this together. Let's say this together. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth.
Have you ever tried to repair a relationship without doing what I call the process of first steps? And that's understanding first and foremost what I've done and figuring out and going to that person and really apologizing and confessing and seeking forgiveness. That's the first step to rebuild. And with the Lord positionally before Christ, we are pure. At the same time, our sin pulls us away from God. So the process of first step is understanding who we are and what we wrestle with. For instance, pride, greed. I'll stop there. And seeing it in our lives and going before the Lord and saying, I want to confess to you these things. And he's never distant from us at all. But each time we do that, we walk closer to him. So the process of the first step starts right now. And that's praying and seeing, Lord, what am I doing to draw that distance away from you? And Father, I confess that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a worshipful moment. Confessing before the Lord. And as a body, we get to do that. And as individuals, we get to do that. And we draw closer to the Lord. So as we read the prayer of confession today, understand you're walking closer to the Lord and he is standing there like this, smiling. Let's read together the prayer of confession. Almighty God, we enter your presence humbly, aware that we approach you from a world that chooses to walk in darkness apart from you. Each of us has ignored and even denied the enlightening power of Jesus Christ. We confess now our sin to you, God of power and might. Forgive us, we pray. Penetrate our darkness by the power of Christ's light, that we may live in the joy of knowing and loving you and each other. And you know one of the greatest things? Is he stands there with his arms open, and we are assured, we are assured of his pardon. And Ezekiel talks about that in the new covenant that Christ speaks about. And it says this, the Lord said, I will give you a new heart and I will put in a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. Through Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven and our minds and hearts cleansed, healed, and renew. And all of God's people said, Amen. Will you stand and join us as we confirm our assurance of pardon through the only place it can come from, which is Christ? was lost in darkest night yet thought I
And all God's people said, amen, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. How are we? Can we thank the band real fast for their good work? You know, as we continue to take baby steps back to uh, worshiping through our stage two, stage three, stage four, you'll notice that our band is melded together, which is kind of an, a neat thing for a while. Um, we're going to have legacy folks and Bozeman folks mixed in because um, later as we uh, get to worship outside, uh, which hopefully is going to happen today, even despite the 35 mile an hour winds coming, um, we'll be having both bands worship, uh, worship there. So, uh, so thank you guys for jumping in and for, um, for being with us. Um, you know, it's been kind of a week, hasn't it? Cities all over the country are, uh, are burning. Um, we have uh, racism uh, at, at play. We have uh, hatred and anger spewing over. We have clearly have had folks um, pent up inside for weeks, kind of a perfect storm, and then uh, and then this uh, this crisis, this new crisis, has come upon us. Um, we don't hear a whole lot about coronavirus in the last seven days, um, but we still have much to be in prayer for, don't we? So I thought it would be appropriate before we even jump into worship just to check our hearts. Uh, to confess where, uh, where we are at, each of us individually, uh, on our knees, and, uh, and make sure that we're ready to hear God's word. Um, let me pray for us together. God, we ask, would you quiet our hearts this morning? Lord, would you help us to just be present right now in this moment, ready to hear a word from you? God, you have told us by your very scriptures that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would pierce us, change us, shape us, mold us, make us into who you would want us to be. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that now. God, that whatever happens in our midst in the world, whether it be pandemics or riots, or whether it be rain or sunshine, that you would be the God of all time, all ages, all space, and that you would come amongst us right now in our midst. Lord, as we remember Pentecost Sunday and the moment that your Holy Spirit came and uh, moved among the people, we ask for the same movement this morning. Lord, we are so bold to request that you would be in our midst. God, so you would, would you renew us by our minds as we open up the scriptures? Would you... Change our hearts. Give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you. Lord, we want to know you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, if you've been following along with us at all in the, the last few weeks, I think this is week seven now of our series on Nehemiah, Courageous Leadership, Uncertain Times. And uh, if you've been following along, then you know Nehemiah has uh, shown up to this city of Jerusalem in ruins, rebuilt the wall after many, many trials of uh, enemies and e economic recovery and uh, internal strife. And finally, Nehemiah has uh, gotten this place where he can celebrate the completion of his construction and a worship service is called together all the people are going to join in and sing praises to God and yet there is so much more to this story so I want to open us up if you have your Bibles with you we're going to open up to Nehemiah we're going to read chapter 8 verses 1 through 10 chapter 8 verses 1 through 10 I'm going to ask us to do something unique this morning um, and you'll find out in a minute if you would stand for the reading of God's word today and get ready for me to mess up a lot of names. Don't be distracted by the names. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchiah, 
Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Shariba, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites. Whew. Help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. St. Elmo, Colorado is probably a town you've never heard of before. It was founded back in 1880 along the Pacific Railroad, and in its heyday, this little mountain town was packed with over 2,000 residents. It was the epitome of the gold rush story. Just imagine a town bustling and hustling with hotels, restaurants, a church, saloons, a general store, you name it, this little burg had it. In its heyday, there was over 150 mines in operation within its vicinity. Everyone came to this place with high hopes and great expectation. But in 1910, suddenly everything changed. The main route into town was the Alpine Tunnel. It was the only way into this town by rail car. And in the spring runoff that year, it had collapsed in on itself. They never rebuilt. Shortly after that, the price of precious metals dropped drastically in the markets. And just when things couldn't get any worse, the town's postmaster died. And the USPS saw all the odds stacked against them and discontinued their service. Over the years, the forest fires ravaged this area, and by 1930, only seven people remained. Before long, all that was left was a ghost town. Still today, you can rent a Jeep and, and go and take a look at the leftovers of this famously, uh, famous town that sits in this state of arrested decay. A town that's stuck in its past, right? All the potential still sitting and waiting to be unleashed. But stuck. And here's why I share this story to get the juices flowing this morning. Nehemiah had spent 52 days rebuilding a wall in a very similar kind of town. Jerusalem and its temple was the place where the Lord had chosen to manifest his presence, right? In its heyday, the, the holy city of God's people was a hustling and bustling town. It was purchased by King David. The temple was built then by King Solomon. It was the place where God moved, where God's people gathered together for centuries to worship to make pilgrimage and to live. And now it's sat empty. Nehemiah was convinced that the first step in restoring the ruins of his hometown was to rebuild the city wall. And we've watched for seven weeks now as that's played out. If you've been following along at all in our series, you know that from day one he faced every opposition imaginable. And yet by God's grace, Nehemiah finally finishes the task. And just before our chapter this morning, he looks around at this beautiful restored wall that went on for miles and miles, and yet it surrounds a city of nothing. Look at this just before our passage, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. It says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. The rubble of years of turmoil had sat in this same state of arrested decay. 
The people were stripped of their belongings. Their homes were torn to the ground. Nothing left. Vacated. Abandoned. Emptied. And yet up until this point in Nehemiah's story, every single chapter is obsessed not with the city, but with the wall. It's almost as if Nehemiah is fixated on nothing else until this point. And now that the wall is done, we see this camera zoom out and we're given this picture now of a ghost town. And here we sit, May 31st, 2020. Churches all over the country are told to maintain a 25% capacity. Empty pews and online views, some say, is the new normal. Best case scenario, we're told, is 50% attendance even here in Bozeman in your worship services. A few weeks ago, one colleague who had just opened his church building said it was like preaching to, can you guess, a ghost town. Anyone picking up the theme? See, this story was never really about Nehemiah and his wall, not even from the beginning. It was about something far greater than that. This wall was really just a metaphor Because this story is about God's faithfulness in restoring his people back to him. This story is about what happens when the people return after years of dispersion and displacement. And unlike the population of St. Elmo, we're going to find that every time God's people are scattered, he brings them back together for his own glory and his own worship. And unlike the relic towns of the Old West, the hopes and dreams of the church will never be derailed. So just before our passage this morning, Nehemiah says that the Lord has put it in his heart, he says, to reassemble all the people who had left Jerusalem years before that. Listen to this, chapter 7, verse 5. He says, I found the book of genealogy, who knows from where, the book of genealogy of those who had been the first to return. And now Nehemiah painstakingly makes an invite to some 40,000 exiles to assemble again for worship. Every family is invited for this party. And just before our scripture lesson, again, the Bible tells us over 42,360 people assembled. Just to keep things real, they bring a choir of 245 to lead in the festivities. It was the first time in decades that God's people had gathered back for one of their famous festivals of worship. You can't overstate the, the celebration that would have been in the air. See, the book of Nehemiah is not so much a book about a wall as it is about the return and restoration of God's people. And here's how we know. Nehemiah, for the first time in the book, is no longer speaking about himself. It's almost sounded like an autobiography to this point. But now he turns and hands off the story to Ezra the priest, who is leading a worship service that will now go down in history. It's a new start that many would have never thought was coming. And the day looked kind of like, well, today. Right? There, was a, there was a wooden platform with the leaders uh, of God's people gathered together. There was a speaker ready to give the charge. Ezra was the direct descendant of Aaron, the chief priest. And with the same kind of authority, he opens up the scriptures and he begins sharing the word. And the entire assembly can now understand And I love this part. The worship of God's people followed almost the same pattern as our worship today. Think about how long that's been going on for. They gather, they open up the word, they sing, they lift their hands, they turn in repentance, they rejoice in God's faithfulness. So Ezra first opens up the the word of God. And here's why. Isaiah 55, 11 says this. It says, So shall my word that goes from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And if you think my sermons are long, check this out. Look at this in verse 3. Ezra then read from early morning to midday. Do you see that? Like six hours of nothing but scripture being read. You want to see a revival in a ghost town, this is where you start. And here's my favorite part about the whole chapter. It goes on to tell us, everyone listened. Look at this. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the law. 
Ezra opens the book, the people stand out of reverence for God's word. And as he begins reading, there's rejoicing in praise. The Bible tells us people are lifting their hands, some with amen, others are face to the ground before the Lord. 42,000 people worshiping as one, the scripture says. Just imagine that. An all-out celebration and praise and worship and song and dance. And remember, this is before the reverberating sound systems of Woodstock and the laser lights and the jumbo screens. This is worship in its purest form. The word, a choir, and God's people. Gathered together after being scattered for what seemed like forever. Most of us probably haven't heard the name Gypsy Smith, but Gypsy was in many ways the predecessor and the trailblazer for Billy Graham. He was an English revivalist that traveled the world, leading thousands of people back to the Lord. In fact, some of Graham's staff was from Gypsy's staff. One day a man came to Gypsy. He asked him, he said, how exactly do we start a revival for the Lord in my own hometown? He said, I feel like my church is just dwindling. It's emptier and emptier by the day. The man was clearly looking for some sort of a rubber stamp formula that he could take from this revival and bring home and it would start again. And Gypsy thought about it for a moment. He said, do you have a place where you can stay or where you can pray? The man said, yeah, I've, I've got a place where I go to pray. Gypsy said, tell you what you do. Go to that place, grab a piece of chalk, draw a circle around you, kneel down, open up the scriptures, and then pray for God to send revival inside everything in that circle. That's how you'll find revival. Listen to how the emphasis of Nehemiah's story shifts from wall building to kingdom building. The entire congregation suddenly shifts from celebration to grief. As God's word is spoken, people begin weeping, right? Now that's pretty odd if you think about it. It feels kind of like a bipolar worship service. The, the worship begins with rejoicing and turns to mourning. That's odd. Look at this in verse 9. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I think that means if we're doing this thing called worship right, then Sundays are not only a time of celebration and rejoicing, but occasionally tears. Because when you find yourself in the beauty and the grandeur of God's promises, you can't help but realize you failed them in your own. If we want to get technical, this is called the threefold purpose of the law. Three different purposes of God's word written to us. First, it restrains evil. Second, it guides us in what is pleasing to God. But third, and this is the most important for our time this morning, it reflects God's holiness as it reveals our sin. It reflects God's holiness as it reveals our sin. So the people are gathered together for worship, and they suddenly hear that their lives are consumed by evil, and they realize just how soaked they are in their own brokenness, and they hear the law, and they finally grasp the weight of their sin. And all at once, again, imagine this, 42,000 people begin wailing. And it's in this moment of repentance and returning that we begin to see the beauty of God's work reemerge. Nehemiah is not about a wall, it's about the worship. The wall wasn't about rebuilding a city, it was about restoring a people. It was about revival and return. Look at how one scholar puts it, he says, in every genuine revival in history, two major thrusts have always appeared. First, there has always been the proclamation of the, God's word. Second, there has been responsive mobilization of believers. Some say the church feels kind of like a ghost count lately. Some wonder if things will ever go back to the way they were. Here's what we learn from Nehemiah. Every time in the scriptures, as God scatters his people, many times by their own sin, we find the great shepherd in his time, every time, luring them back home again. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of Jeremiah. It's the story of Peter. It's the story of Jesus Christ. God wants us home. I believe that's why Spring Hill came up with a spirit-driven vision that we are a church to call home, not a building, but a belonging. And yet, this life has a way of keeping us scattered. 
not only physically one from another, but also spiritually from the Lord. Just this week, as I said, somehow we went from the drama of COVID, suddenly pushed out of all the headlines into this new explosion of riots and protests across the nation. I feel like you can pick your week and you can find a new anxiety of the day as we swipe through the news each morning. This week we're reminded, and I'm going to say it this clearly, that we have a problem of prejudice in this country. You know, as as a white preacher who spent nearly a decade in Houston, Texas, one of the most diverse populations in our nation, we have a deeply embedded and increasingly troubling problem of racism in our nation from all sides, every angle. How will the church look different? In previous weeks, we were reminded, though, that our society doesn't necessarily always grab on to race for prejudice. Sometimes we pick face masks. Who wears them? Who doesn't? Before that, we were in the early stages of the crisis, and first we were all in this together, and then it became about politics and partisans and party lines, quickly drawn out, and now everyone's confused. And here's why I bring all that up. Friends, we don't have necessarily just a problem with racism. We don't just have a problem with prejudice. We don't have a problem with political partisan party lines. We have a sin problem. Operative word being sin. Every time sin scatters, God gathers. Ezra standing in the midst of thousands of people brings them back into the presence of the Lord and right there in the holiest city as they looked out over the ruins of the temple where God manifest his presence, the scroll is unraveled, Ezra reads the law and now reveals to the people their sinfulness. And in one moment they're weeping and returning to the Lord. I have to say, when I consider the church, I don't see a ghost town. I see renewal, I see restoration, I see return. I came across a blog on mental health this week, um, another thing that you see scrolling through on social media lately, and it gave some fantastic advice for this moment. In fact, I would say it was biblical advice and didn't even know it. Um, It said this, it says, when we obsess over our past, we get depressed, right? As we think through what could have been, what should have been, our own sinfulness, When we obsess over our future, we become anxious with the what ifs and who knows and what next. So what say we live in the present? What say right now as we gather together with our own music and our own scripture read and our own return, what say we just live in the moment for a minute? An arrested state of decay. Still to this day, that's how they describe St. Elmo, Colorado. A ghost town stuck in its past. Broken forever, scattered people never to return. No future, no hope, just gawkers driving by and four-wheel drives looking at a has-been. But that is not the church. And that will never be God's people. And that's certainly not the nature of the God we serve. See, here's the beauty of the Lord. Ezra refuses to allow God's people to sit in their grief and their brokenness because worship is not about a past we can't change. It is by Ezra's own words, a day to remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It was a day to return in worship and rejoicing and restoration of God's people. So the question before us is in the midst of all of what's happening in our world, how do we return to that joy again, the the joy that is restored in knowing the Lord, the joy that will be our strength, the kind that says whatever lies behind us and whatever lies ahead, God, your joy is enough, and on that joy I will build my strength, come what may. And wherever your heart is this morning, I think this is how. Maybe right now, right in this moment, Individually and collectively, we return to the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word, Lord, that that it not only brings us comfort, but sometimes discomfort. Lord, that you cause us to reflect not only on our lives and the events thereof, but also on what you're doing in the midst of our lives. 
And so God, as we return to worship this morning again and uh, we, we, we hear one another singing praises to you, Lord, we just ask that we would be encouraged and that we would return to you. Lord, that your joy would be enough for the day, your joy would be our strength despite what is happening and that, that, that the church would look different. The church would be a place to call home. Lord, the church would be a place where relationships flourish, generations are connecting and neighbors are loved. Not for us, Lord, but for you, for your glory. Lord, would you make us a people that strive after you? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's pray for the offering. Father, let us honor you in our life. Let us honor you with our very breath, our thoughts, our actions, and our giving. Lord, we can worship you through giving because of how you have loved us, how you are with us. No matter what we go through, you are there. Father, you have provided for us, and we want to say thank you and give to you, Father, what is yours. We want to honor you with our ties as we pray in your son's name. Amen. We have uh, places in the back on your way out. You can just give that way. There are plates on all sides.
So what will this week bring? Doesn't necessarily matter because the God we serve is still with us. Each one of us, as we return to him, not only in worship together, but also individually in drawing a circle around us and letting revival happen right here, that's where we'll find a return to the joy of the Lord that is our strength. I want to invite us today as we leave, we're going to do something a little bit different to maintain social distancing. We're going to leave out these doors, and then if you want to congregate and have a conversation, we're going to ask you to do it outside. Um, and uh, that way our band can, we've got about 45 minutes to do a turnaround for our next service um, outdoors. But as you leave this place today, hear this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go and serve the Lord and all God's people said, amen, amen. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop.